This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, and I'm Allison Nathan, a senior strategist in Goldman Sachs Research. Today, we're going to talk about the growing role that hedge funds are playing in the private markets, what that means for investors, and how that's affecting the interplay between the public and private markets. To do that, we're joined by Kristen Kramer and Freddie Parker from our Global Markets Division. Kristen, Freddie, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Your team recently published a report that looks at the nature of hedge funds' participation in the private markets, particularly in private equity and venture capital. Put this into context for us and talk about how and why you decided to focus on this topic. Absolutely. We've observed an acceleration of activity in private markets among our hedge fund clients. So we wanted to understand the key drivers and the implications on our industry. We believe there's a confluence of factors at play here. And the first is that there's been a pretty significant shift in the capital formation process for companies. You'll often hear this conventional wisdom that companies are staying private for longer And that may be the case over a multi-decade period, but our research actually suggests that the time to IPO has been largely stable for the past 15 years or so, and that's about 9 to 10 years on average. What has changed is the enormous amount of value creation during the private phase of a company's life. The median company today now goes through an average of three equity funding rounds prior to going public. That was just one back in 2011. And on average, companies are raising almost twice as much capital pre-IPO as they did a decade ago. So as I'm sure you can imagine, the impact on these valuations has been dramatic. And one of the best ways to exemplify this is by looking at the number of unicorns or private companies that are valued at over a billion dollars. There's almost 400 of these companies today versus just nine a decade ago. It's pretty stunning that 155 of these attained that status just in the first half of this year alone. So why are we seeing this shift in activity and behaviors? As you may expect, given this expanding opportunity set, we've also seen private equity and venture capital performance outpace that of other asset classes. And the five-year growth rate for private equity and venture capital as an asset class has doubled that of hedge funds. So all of these factors combined certainly have led a lot of our hedge fund clients to spending a bit more time looking at privates. Right. So you've got a strong opportunity set. You've got strong returns. That's a great recipe. But are there other dimensions that are adding to this? Freddie, maybe... Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few different dimensions to this. I think one of them has a lot to do with the capital markets. And we've seen in the last couple of years a real acceleration in the amount of activity in capital markets, particularly in equity capital markets. 2020 was a record year for the amount of equity issuance. You know, US equity and equity linked issuance was coming up on $500 billion last year. It looks poised to surpass that this year. On top of which, you know, I think there's been the strong IPO pop phenomenon, by which we mean the tendency of IPOs to outperform in the days or weeks after IPO, which means it's become increasingly competitive to get access to these deal allocations. So what's this to do with the private markets phenomenon? The first is that there is a liquidity pull effect. So if you're investing in late stage private companies, they're able to go public more quickly than they might ordinarily have been able to do. And the second is, with the IPO pop, there's a lot of incentive to get an allocation to an IPO, which is a competitive process. So investing before that point definitely gets you in a better position to secure an allocation to the IPO. There's a few other dimensions to this, I think, that hedge funds are taking into account, one of which is information synergies. So if you look at public companies and private companies, 
you can use the insights derived from one to inform the other. And particularly thinking about private companies, generally the level of disclosure that you'd expect as an investor is much higher than you'd get in the public markets. So it enables you to have this much more holistic view of what's going on across the public-private divide, but also hopefully investing in privates informs your opinion of your public market investments. And then lastly, we talked about the performance dimension. One other dimension to the performance question is around volatility. So if you're a hedge fund and you have privates inside your hedge fund vehicle, you actually get the volatility dampening effect or the sort of smoothing effect of not marking to market your private portfolio on the same rate as you do your public portfolio, which obviously gets marked on a day-to-day basis as the markets go up and down. So there's a sort of natural smoothing effect, which I think allocators appreciate. And I think all of those are certainly additional factors in drawing hedge funds into the private markets. I want to follow up on that, a couple of follow-up questions. But before I do that, can we just take a step back? How big is the footprint, if you can size the volume of the participation of hedge funds in the private markets today? To give a little bit of historical context on that question, this is not hedge funds' first rodeo as it pertains to investing in privates. In the decade prior to the great financial crisis, hedge funds participated in an average of about 50 private deals per year. And that rose to about 200 private deals per year between 2010 and 2015, and we've just seen acceleration from there. This year is on pace to be the biggest year by volume in history. And to put a number around that, hedge funds have invested in 770 private deals this year, well outpacing last year, which had been the prior year on record. However, while this is a really big uptick for the industry, hedge funds' overall share of private deal activity versus all of the other private markets practitioners is still pretty modest. We think it's about 4% of the total volume of private deals that have been done. Where you really see the bigger impact of hedge funds investing in privates is in terms of dollars deployed. So in aggregate, hedge funds have put about $153 billion to work in private deals this year, which is about 27% of the total capital deployed into private deals. Okay, so they're about a quarter of of the overall activity. Exactly. Okay, Okay, interesting. And so, Freddie, talk to us a little bit about their investing strategies. Where are they investing? How are they investing? So predominantly, from a strategy point of view, these are equity long-short managers who are doing this. Of the universe of managers that we see active in privates, about 85%, give or take, are long-short equity funds. Within that, I would say there is a pretty profound skew towards sector specialists. So a lot of the managers that are doing this are healthcare or TMT-oriented managers. Many of them are larger, so the majority of this universe are managers that have upwards of a billion dollars of assets under management. But also, despite the sort of size bias towards larger managers, there is definitely a healthy representation of younger managers. So we've seen a tendency within managers who launched in the last five years to be investing in privates. And actually, if we look at the new launches we worked with in the last year, about a quarter of the long-short funds that we worked with globally had some privates dimension to their strategy. So there's definitely an uptick amongst the younger cohorts of managers. And then in terms of where they're active, I think a lot of this sort of mirrors the types of managers that they are. So a lot of these deals are within the realm of the TMT healthcare sectors. About 70% of all the deals hedge funds have done historically have been in those two sectors. For comparative purposes, those sectors account for about half of the cap weight of the S&P 500. 
So certainly a skew towards TMT and healthcare. And then geographically as well, there's definitely a skew towards the US historically, which has always been the case. But actually, we've seen a growing participation in deals and companies based in Asia and specifically China. And you mentioned before that one of the key motivations is this information advantage, you know, getting more information about private companies by investing in them before they go public. So ultimately, at what stage then are they choosing to invest in these private companies? So these are deals that are being done within the realm of what would be traditionally considered the venture capital or growth equity space. Within that, though, I would say there is a definite skew towards the later stages and later funding rounds. So where we see hedge funds active is most often in the Series C and later rounds, which accounts for about 50% of the deal activity done by hedge funds. And if you look at it on a dollar basis, it's even more profound. So about 80% of all the dollars that have been put to work by hedge funds are in those sort of Series C, Series D, and even later rounds. So obviously, hedge funds are not the only type of investors that are active in the space. We have private equity venture capitalists who have had long expertise in investing in the space. So what differentiates the hedge fund investor from the PEs and the VCs in this space? One of the key defining features that we hear managers tout is just a unique set of relationships. So your traditional private equity or venture capital firms have their own set of relationships, their own network that they're utilizing for deal sourcing. And given that hedge funds play in a different sandbox, they're potentially leveraging other connections that will lead to a unique set of companies that they'll invest in. We also hear a lot of hedge funds talk about their hands-off approach. So as Freddie mentioned, since a lot of these hedge funds are investing in later stage deals, they're really letting these companies' management teams run their businesses as they see fit, and they're not requiring a board seat, for example, in exchange for their capital. At the same time, hedge funds aren't afraid to bring their public markets insights to the table to help these companies, particularly to help coach them and help them navigate the process of going public and everything that comes with being a public company. Not only are a lot of these insights really valuable, but hedge funds may also have a competitive advantage when it comes to their own capital duration. They can be a true life cycle investor with a company. They can participate in crossover rounds prior to the company going public. They can even cornerstone that IPO and then be a multi-year holder of the company's public stock. This is a really different pitch than what you might hear from a number of the incumbent players in the venture capital space, given they're typically running limited life funds that at a certain point, they'll have to return that capital back to their investors given their mandate. So we've talked a lot about the hedge funds moving into private markets, but have you seen signs of private market investors, you know, PE and venture capitals, investing in hedge funds to compete? So we've started to see, I think, more of that development. And I think particularly in light of many of these sort of competitive advantages that hedge funds have when they're playing in the private markets. I think we see private equity and VC firms wanting to move in the other direction to maybe try and sort of retake some of that competitive advantage. But it's relatively nascent. And I don't think there's a very large number of firms that you can point to who have successfully built out large hedge fund franchises thus far. So we think there's 20 or so PE or VC firms that have hedge fund businesses, of which many are actually equity long short businesses, so theoretically comparable businesses to many of these hedge funds that are moving in the other direction. 
But thus far, at least, many of those businesses still remain relatively small, both on an absolute basis. So a lot of them are in the sub $500 million bracket and relative to the overall assets of those firms. So a lot of them are less than 5% of the assets that these firms are running. So still quite nascent businesses within the context of the overall size of their assets. With that said, I think anecdotally, we're starting to observe more private equity and VC firms come to the table and try and understand what the opportunity set might be on the public markets and explore whether it might be appropriate for them to launch a hedge fund business or another type of public markets business to be able to compete in the world where the lines between public and private are ever increasingly blurred. So if we think broadly about the hedge fund space versus the private markets, hedge funds are typically thought of as a very liquid asset, whereas private markets are thought of as less liquid. So how are hedge fund investors thinking about this allocation toward private markets? Are they comfortable with it? So I think there's a few schools of thought there. The first thing I would say is there's definitely variation amongst types of allocators. There are some types of allocators who are very happy to underwrite this activity or comparatively happy to underwrite this type of activity. I would put at that end of the spectrum endowments and foundations, sovereign wealth funds, family offices. What these investors have in common in many cases is they have very long duration capital. So the liquidity, illiquidity comparison, I think, is maybe less relevant to them and they can think about the opportunity set more holistically and they're not so constrained. Similarly, if you look at it geographically, US investors and Asia-based investors tell us that they're relatively happier to underwrite hedge funds activities on the private side versus European investors who tend to be more liquidity sensitive as a whole. With that said, I would group investors into two camps. I would say there are those who are very enthusiastic proponents of this. They believe in all the advantages that hedge funds potentially can have in the space. And I think in many cases, they view it as potentially a differentiated set of opportunities that they're getting from their traditional VCPE portfolio. And then on the other side of the table, I think you have some investors who I would characterize as maybe more reluctant acceptors. So these are groups that have, I would say, the ability to, and on occasion will, underwrite hedge funds' involvement in private markets. But they'll do so maybe more because they're particularly compelled by a single manager and their abilities and their differentiators. And the pushbacks that we hear from those investors tend to fall into a few different buckets. One is to do with that liquidity point and the fact that they have, I would say, silos in their portfolios and this sort of crossing over and blurring of the lines makes it difficult for them to position these investments in their portfolios. In many cases, they have different teams within the same organization who have to underwrite public market investments versus private market investments. So you have to find a way to marry the work of those teams to be able to underwrite these positions. And then there are the considerations, I think, around risks involved in this. So the implications it has for the total liquidity of your portfolio, especially when, as you say, hedge funds are typically characterized historically as liquid investments. And then perhaps memories of some prior crises where you've seen illiquidity in portfolios become problematic. And I think some investors, therefore, are a little bit reticent. And I think especially when you consider the amount of money that's flowed into the private markets, not just from hedge funds, but from other investors as well, maybe a little bit more reticence to underwrite those sort of forays into privates on the part of hedge funds at this point as a result. So do you think there is actually reason to be worried about this trend and this liquidity and again thinking about past crises and this hasn't always gone well. Right. So on the one hand while we have those memories in the not too distant past, we do think that hedge funds are trying to be very thoughtful this time around about how to better align their terms so that they can support their private investing efforts but also better solve for asset liability matching. And we tend today to see hedge funds structuring their private investments in 
two key ways. So the first is actually having privates in traditional hedge fund vehicles themselves. And most often this is done via a side pocket, which allows hedge funds to segregate privates from public assets. And in certain cases, enables the underlying investors to choose whether they want to have exposure to privates and how much. This has become a much more commonplace way to have hedge funds actually structure privates within their own vehicles and was much less the case during the 2008 crisis. We've also seen a meaningful number of hybrid funds launch, which we define as hedge funds that can invest 20% or more of their assets in privates. The second way that hedge funds are offering privates to investors is through separate and dedicated vehicles. This could be through a standalone drawdown private equity fund or through a co-investment, which an investor can select to participate in to get exposure to a single deal. So overall, I think the bottom line is that there's a much more intentional approach on the part of many hedge fund managers to get the right separation of public and private and the right aligned terms for those vehicles. And we'd also emphasize that there's no one size fits all approach. So a number of our hedge fund clients are offering multiple structures given investors have different needs. And at the end of the day, these allocators really need to take a hard look at what the hedge fund's private investing strategy is, the way they've decided to structure it, and then determine how that fits into their own portfolios. Understood. So the implementation is just a lot different, it sounds like, this time around. Absolutely. That's what we've observed. So we think about the future. Do we think this is a trend that's going to persist or is it more cyclical in nature or something that, you know, may be here today, gone tomorrow? So when we interviewed hedge fund managers on this topic, we asked them, how do you see this developing in future for your business? And all of them said, we see this as a structural phenomenon in our business. We don't see this as being something cyclical. Our overall allocation to privates may vary. It may go up, it may go down as the opportunity set shifts through time. But we see privates as being something that are going to be here to stay as something in our toolkit that we will use going forward. Kristen, Freddie, thanks so much for sharing your insights on this really interesting trend. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. That concludes this episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, we hope you subscribe at Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. This podcast was recorded on Monday, September 20th, 2021. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.